let's put our hands together and thank this worship team for leading us this morning. What a great job. Well, listen, we're glad you're here today. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We are continuing the series that we're calling Chasing Jesus. And what we're doing is we're just unpacking through this chapter 3 of Philippians what it looks like to pursue Jesus as the great pursuit of our life, for our life to be exhausted chasing Jesus. Jesus. This is his desire for us. And last week, what we discovered was what it looked like to live this way. What does it look like to live with a passion to know Jesus, to experience Jesus? And this is what uh, Paul taught us through his own life and example. He says, listen, uh, pursuing Jesus is about experiencing Jesus. And experiencing Jesus is being transformed by him through suffering with him for the purpose of becoming like him. That we want to know him and experience him and become like him. And so this is the great uh, pursuit of, of, the, of the, and the passion of the Apostle Paul. And, and honestly, this is the Christian life, that we would know him more and more and more and become like him as we encounter and experience him on a regular basis. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, Paul really is continuing the same thought. So, so last week was kind of this part one of knowing him and and experiencing him, this week is like part two of that because what he's gonna show us this morning is the mindset that is required for us to chase Jesus in this way. So if you got your Bibles, Philippians chapter three, we're gonna start reading in verse 12. If you're there, say the Bible is true. Paul writes this, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15 is pivotal. He says, let those who are mature think this way. And if any, and, and anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, the verse 15 is, is critical for us understanding what Paul is doing in this section, and, and it's because of this. Paul makes this statement. He says, let those who are mature think this way. The, the phrase, let those who are mature, is a reference to those who are maturing spiritually, who are maturing and progressing in the faith. So I, something interesting here, Paul says earlier on, same kind of language here. He says, I'm not I'm not there yet, so I'm not spiritually mature yet, but I am spiritually maturing. And what he says in verses 12 through 14, he says, listen, this is what it looks like for to have a mindset of spiritual maturity. That's why in verse 15 he says, hey, hey, everyone who is spiritually maturing, those who are growing in their faith, you should think this way too. You say, what, what, how should they think? They should think the way that Paul thinks from verse 12 through 14. If you're with me, say, uh-huh. That makes sense? So Paul is saying, I've just shared with you the way that I think. I just shared with you my mindset, and this is the mindset for everyone who wants to, to grow spiritually, for spiritual maturity. This is the mindset. He says, when he says, you have to think this way, uh, it's in the present tense. So it's the idea of an ongoing thought process. It's the way that you process life, the way you approach life, the way you think about life. That's what it means to have a, have a mindset. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying there is a mindset to spiritual maturity, and I've just showed you what mine is. And if you are spiritually maturing or you want to spiritually mature, you ought to think this way as well. 
And I love this because he says, he basically says, those who think this well, you should continue to think this well and, and pursue life this way. Those who think differently, I'm trying to help you think this way. And for those who haven't caught on yet, I'm hoping by the end of this, you'll catch on as well. And the point is, no matter where you are, spiritually maturing at a place where you don't really think you're spiritually maturing or you want to, but you really haven't started the journey, the point is, everyone should have this mindset to spiritual maturity. Mindset is critical. I mean, just think about it in the sports world, because one of the things I love about this passage is Paul uses sports metaphors throughout uh, the scriptures, this one in particular, describing the Christian life. But you think about like the elite athletes in the world, our heroes, athletic heroes through the years who just went beyond just being a pro at the sport, but really began to be kind of the pro's pro. You know what I'm talking about? You know, great players like Michael Jordan, surprised that I said that. Um, you know, the mindset is different. You think about guys like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and different athletes uh, in other sports. Emmett Smith was one of these. There was just something different about the way that they approached the game that everyone else approached. And there was just this, this instinct that they have, this work ethic that they had. They were willing to do things that other people uh, wouldn't do. When it came to tight situations and close games, they went to a place that other people wouldn't go to because mentally there, there was a mindset that they approached their craft with that set them apart from everyone else. And the same is true for the Christian life. People who are spiritually mature are spiritually mature two reasons. One, because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, because of their active participation with the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants to work in every single one of us. God's desire for you is spiritual maturity. And the difference between you and other believers who might be further along than you could be that they are more willing to have the mindset of participation with what Jesus wants to do in their life, which is why they're progressing and you're not. That makes sense? So I want us to get this mindset this morning of what it looks like. How, what, how do we think if we're gonna have spiritual progress, we're gonna chase Jesus with our life? Let me give you a couple of things that Paul gives us here. In fact, I'm gonna give you four statements, four statements to the mindset to spiritual maturity. All right, so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's number one. Here's the first uh, step in the mindset of spiritual maturity. It's this, no one has arrived. You gotta think this way. You gotta recognize this about you. No one has arrived. No one, no matter who they are, no one has arrived. Look what he says in verse number 12. He says this, not that I have already obtained this. What is the this that he's not already obtained? It's what he says previously. I wanna know him. I wanna experience him. I want to uh, be transformed, become like him. And Paul is acknowledging here, listen, listen, not that I've already obtained all of this. And then he goes on to say this. He says, in verse number 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What, what is he talking about made it his own? It's the likeness and the image of Jesus. He says, brother, I don't think that I've arrived yet. I've not been made perfect. The word perfect there in verse 12, by the way, is not the word like perfect as in sinless, but perfect as then fully mature. It's completely mature. He says, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but I'm moving there. I'm heading that direction. But you start with acknowledging that you've not arrived. Now, I just want you to think about who is saying these words. This is the apostle Paul for crying out loud. This is one of the greatest missionaries that's ever walked the planet. This guy wrote half the Bible, or half the New Testament, rather. 
This is the guy that wrote, wrote half the New Testament. He describes his relationship with Jesus as this mad pursuit. Every day, I wanna know him more and more and more. I'm willing to suffer for him. I'll do whatever it takes if it means I get to know him. He, he's the guy that when you get to peek into his own personal journal, he got caught up, and I don't know what this means, but he got caught up to the third heaven in a vision. This is the guy that was beaten and whipped and imprisoned and suffered greatly for Christ and did so with great joy. This is the man that says, I can endure any circumstances through Christ who gives me strength. And this guy, the heavyweight spiritually, is saying to you and me, I'm not there yet. So if the apostle Paul is saying, I'm not there yet, what does that say for us? We're not there yet. You see, staying the course in spiritual maturity is not settling in to where you are. Brothers and sisters, hear me say this. You've not arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. None of us in this room at this place, we can put the thing in neutral and go, hey man, I've done it, I'm here, and this is where I've come to in my faith, in my walk with Jesus Christ. None of us can do this. You gotta understand this. Paul is a man that if anyone could say, hey, look at me, I'm complete in Christ, he would say, I'm not complete yet in Christ. I'm not there yet. See, the first step to continually growing in Christ and spiritual maturity is to recognize that you've not arrived. So many of us cease to grow because we have become so comfortable with where we are. See, complacency and laziness leads to stagnation. And, and hear me say this, don't miss this. The great enemy, don't miss this, the great enemy of spiritual progress is spiritual complacency. The great enemy of spiritual progress is spiritual complacency. We should be in a mad pursuit of Jesus no matter what. We should be running after him more and more and more, realizing there's more of him to know. There's more of him to experience. There's more of me for him to change, amen? I think about it like this. When I was in high school, uh, and I, I'm even embarrassed to say, I was, I was kind of just in high school. I was with a buddy of mine, and we were, um, you know, Teens that first get their license, and my buddy had his license, and we were out running around town, you know, had all this freedom. And so we're driving through town, and we see this rainbow. It was right after a little rain came, and a little cloud uh, over, and the sky broke. And we saw this rainbow, and this rainbow, we literally were like, we know exactly where the end of that rainbow is. And so we got in the car and we drove to the park that we thought that rainbow was in. And it's like when we got to the place that we thought for sure, it looked like it just, it was right there at Carnes Park. We get to Carnes Park realizing that the distance that we drove to get to where we thought the rainbow was, that the rainbow was even further than that. So we was like, no, maybe we miscalculated. Maybe it's over here. And we drove to like four different spots. And what we discovered is that every time we got to the place that we thought the rainbow was, the rainbow was that much further away. Now, it took us about 30 minutes to realize we're not gonna get there and there's no gold waiting on us. But here's the point. I think, I think that, that picture is really what the Christian life is. It's like as we grow in Christ, there's this place that we think, okay, if this is what it means for me to be spiritually mature. Then we get to that place and we look at Jesus and we realize, no, no, it's not here yet. We're gonna keep going. And then we think we get to that place and we go, no, it's not here. We continue to pursue. Listen, listen, following Jesus and walking towards spiritual maturity is like chasing the rainbow. You never capture the rainbow, you just pursue the rainbow. You see, it's, it, spiritual maturity is not a destination. On this side of eternity, listen to this. Spiritual maturity is not a destination we arrive at, but a journey we're on. 
Spiritual maturity is not a destination we arrive at. It's a journey we're on. And this is what it means. So we, we can't be on this journey if we think we arrive. So we gotta come to the first step of the mindset towards spiritual maturity, and that is no one has arrived. No one has arrived. Amen? Here's number two. Write this down. The gospel is our motivation. The gospel is our motivation. Look what he says um, in the next verse. He says, verse 13, he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm, I'm uh, already perfect. I'm, I'm not there yet. But listen to what he says. But I press on to make it my own. Now listen to this. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is telling us why he is so obsessed with chasing Jesus and pursuing spiritual maturity. It's because of the gospel. When he says this, not that I have already obtained this, this spiritual maturity, or I'm, I'm perfect, I'm not completely mature, but I press on to make it my own. And here's why I'm pressing on. The idea is moving forward and I'm chasing Jesus. And here's why. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is showing us that, that I'm chasing Jesus because of the gospel. I'm not chasing Jesus so that I can get something that's not already mine. I'm chasing Jesus to lay hold of in, what, in, what is in him that is already made available to me. You see, this is a huge shift in the way that we see our relationship with Jesus. Paul is saying, Jesus chased me and he laid hold of me, and in response to this, of him laying hold of me, I am going to exhaust my life taking hold of Jesus because Jesus took hold of me. It's like I'm chasing the thing that Jesus chased me for. So here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is we are broken. We, are, we abandoned God in the Garden of, of, of Eden. And we were stripped away from this privilege of relationship with him. And humanity has been chasing the things of this world, religion and everything else, trying to grab hold again of this relationship. And so and what's, what's crazy about chasing the things of this world, even religion, to try to gain, we are actually running from the one we're trying to chase. So we're chasing the things of this world, but God in his infinite love and grace and mercy says, you'll never get to me. In fact, you're running further and further away from me, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pursue you. And so I'm gonna send the, the prophets and I'm gonna uh, send um, uh, spiritual leaders to forecast for you of how I'm gonna come at some point in time in history and I'm gonna put on skin and I'm gonna live among you and my coming in skin and living among you is so that I can pursue you and chase you and take hold of you. And so Jesus comes and he lives a life we couldn't live. He died in our place. He's resurrected and now says, look, because I've chased you, if you'll stop running and just believe in me, I am gonna take hold of you because I've been pursuing you. And then in this new relationship, you begin to chase me and begin to discover all the great blessings that are in me that I chased you for. So, so hear this believer. Don't ever forget this believer. Listen to this. You chase Jesus because Jesus first chased you. You love Jesus because Jesus loved you first. You take hold of Jesus with everything you have in your life because Jesus gave his life to take hold of you. You see, the gospel must become our motivation because when we recognize the grace that Jesus demonstrated when he laid hold of us, laying down his own life for us, we'll recognize there's nothing greater in this life than to pursue the one who pursued us. All of a sudden, we run with this reckless abandon. You see, 
When you pursue Jesus and chase Jesus independent of the gospel, even if you're a Christian, because we can do that, what will happen is, is that we either become very entitled because now all of a sudden God is in our debt. Now all of a sudden there's an IOU from him. Look at all the things that I've done for you. So when we chase and pursue Jesus independent of the gospel, we become entitled or we become exhausted. Because what we're doing is, is we're trying to chase Jesus, not trying to gain something from him, not recognizing that everything we need, he's already given us, and the pursuit is not to get what, what is, is there. It is to lay hold of what has already been laid hold of for us. And this leads to freedom and life and joy. It's not easy, but it leads to freedom and joy in life. I love how Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse number 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls, <clears throat> controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all died. Listen to this. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What is he saying here? Hey, the love of Jesus, the love that Jesus has for me controls my life because I've come to the conclusion that the one who loved me and died for me, loved me and died for me so I could stop living for myself and begin to live for him. So this new life that I have is, is a response to the gospel. I am chasing him and I'm pursuing him. Why? Because his love Love has grabbed a hold of my heart. And listen, that's drastically different. That's drastically different than pursuing Jesus in order to get something that we don't recognize that we already have. It's like this in marriage. I used marriage analogies last week quite a bit, and I'll continue the trend. Um, it's like in marriage, like when, when, a, when a husband and wife says, I do, and, and, and God's intention for that is there for be a covenant relationship where love that they share now is solidified by a covenant and then spend the rest of their life loving one another in response to one another's love and the covenant that they've made with one another. And just think about the security in the marriage and in, in my, my wife and I's marriage. If, if, if she knows that I love her and I'm gonna pursue her and I'm not going anywhere and that this covenant relationship that's been established, I'm not gonna break it, I'm in this thing for the long haul, that gives a freedom for her to respond to that love and to trust and to follow and to love and to pursue me in that way, not in order to get security in her marriage, but because she already has it. And the same is true. But if there is insecurity and there is uncertainty about the future and if there is this un unrealized love that I have for her that she hasn't recognized, now all of a sudden this marriage becomes very trying and challenging for her. Why? It's because she's trying to love me to get something that she doesn't know if she has already. Does that make sense? I use the analogy with my kids. If my kids are trying to perform in whatever things that they're performing so that they can get dad's affection and love, eventually there's gonna be bitterness toward both dad and those things. But if they know that their love that I have for them is unconditional and I'm not going anywhere and I'm, I'm for them, win, lose, or draw, now they both can enjoy me and the thing that they love because they don't have to question whether or not this performance is gonna lead to my affection. Does that make sense? 
This is why we pursue and we chase Jesus. The mindset is the gospel is my motivation. This is why I do what I do because Christ has already laid hold of me and I'm gonna exhaust my life laying hold of the very purpose for which he laid hold of me. Here's number three. Number three is this. This is a big one. Don't live in the past, but passionately pursue the prize. Don't live in the past, but passionately pursue the prize. Look what he says in Philippians chapter three, verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. In other words, I've not arrived and I do not fully know Jesus in his fullness, but one thing I do. Now listen to this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now Paul is using a sports metaphor. He's using the metaphor of a sprinter or a runner who's running a race. And here's the picture, is that when a sprinter is running a race, they do not look at where they've been, they focused on where they're going. They're, they're not focused on the runners that are behind them because that's in the past, they're, they're in front of them. What they're gonna do though is they're gonna find the person in front of them and now I'm gonna catch up with them and then I'm gonna go after the next one and then the next one until the finish line is in view and then I'm gonna run after the finish line. The point is no runner runs a race like this and expects to compete to win. No runner looks backwards while they're running expecting to accomplish victory in the end. And this is the picture. Paul says, I'm gonna run after Jesus, but I'm gonna forget what's in the past. Paul is committed, listen, that his failures of past and his success in the past will not be what defines him. It will be what's in the future. He will not let his past sins his past shame, his past guilt, or his past successes. Be what you lose for. See, far too many Christians are hindered in their spiritual journey because so many of us are living in our past. We're living in the sin and the shame and the failures and the disappointments and the guilt and the tragedy and the wounds, both sins that we've committed or sins that have been committed to us against us. And it, and it puts us in a and a place in our spiritual journey that rather than seeing what's in front of us, what Christ has in store for us, we're looking back at where we've been and we're looking at the shame and the guilt and the, and the tragedy and the wounds that have been created in our life. And hear me say this, beloved. Listen, don't miss this. The Christian life is not about you trying to outrun your sin and shame and failures and wounds of your past. That's not the Christian life. And so many of us, we're exerting energy because we're trying to outrun the person we used to be. You're no longer that person. You're a new creation in Christ. That's not who I am. You see, here's the thing. The Christian life isn't about outrunning our sin and shame, but running after our Savior who has already dealt with our sin and shame. Anybody thankful for that? And I'll just tell you, this is very personal for me because, in, and my wife will testify to this, that most of my early years in ministry, probably leading up to around, I don't know what the year was, 2004-ish, uh, the first several years of our ministry, I was in this state of mind where I was trying to outrun my past. I had pastors and family members telling me when I was younger because of stupid decisions, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never make it in life, and God couldn't use people like you, can't use people like you. 
And every time I would go home, even though I was in ministry, my cousins and my family would remind me of who I used to be constantly. And this plagued me for the first several years of ministry. That was my motivation. I wanted to have the biggest ministry and the best ministry and be the best preacher and do all these great things because I wanted to prove everybody in my past wrong that I'm not that guy anymore. And God broke me. I'm not gonna go into the story, but he broke me. It ended up placing me on the floor, weeping my eyes out at a youth rally with my wife going, what in the world is wrong with you? And that began a journey for me of God breaking me loose and free from all of the baggage of my past because what was hindering spiritual progress for me wasn't the insufficient, that God's grace was insufficient. It was that I believed God's grace was insufficient. And that I was looking at who I used to be and rather than pursuing the Savior that had set me free from that old man, now uh, I was rather trying to outrun the past. And when God set me free and changed that, all of a sudden now I found joy and delight in Jesus I'd never known before. I began to enjoy ministries in ways that I never enjoyed before. Why? It's because the gospel became my motivation which then empowered me to forget my past and strain toward what's ahead. And that's where some of you are. Some of you, maybe it's not your sin and shame. Some of you need to forget your past failures. Like there's a lot of church people every single Sunday, and and I'm just gonna say it, look, you've, you've done years in church and ministry and there was a season in your life where you were going on mission and you were engaged in church and you were faithful and your family was here and you were serving and all of these great things and you justify laying out now because of what you used to do. The truth is you're spiritually stagnated, you're not growing and and not developing maturity and higher commitment to Jesus and you justify it by looking back at what you used to do for him and how committed you once were. Listen, your past successes are gonna kill your future victories. I see this all the time in church, church members that have been here 25, 30, 40 years, and here's inevitably what I hear, especially when kids graduate or kids begin to get into high school and begin to get in other activities. Man, I put my time in. Now it's time for other people to step up and do their thing. At what point in our Christian life do we graduate from serving and being committed to Jesus? What happens, though, is, and the reason we get to that place, because somewhere along the way, we're looking at what's behind. It's like those old athletes that always want to sit around and talk about the good old days. I used to. I used to could. You know what I'm talking about? And what you come to find out, if you really examine, if that's the framework, then you have to really examine, did I really ever? Was I ever really fully in? And this is the examination some of us need to do in the room. Are you sitting on the sidelines and coasting in ministry, coasting in your spiritual life because you keep looking back at what you used to be and how you used to be committed and how you used to grow? Listen, or are you living on mission now, chasing Jesus with everything you have? But it's not just forgetting the past. So we got to forget the past. The word forget here, by the way, means completely forget. It's like have amnesia. And, And not necessarily that, so like past victories, we can draw back for fresh motivation. That's, Paul is not saying don't thank God for what he's done in the past. He's saying don't live in the past. Like listen, don't live off yesterday's grace, amen? 
Don't live off yesterday's victories. There, there's new grace today and there'll be new grace tomorrow and there's gonna be victories today and victories tomorrow and 10 years from now. So I can thank God for where I've been to where I am today, but, but I'm not gonna live here because there's more of him in the future and that's why Paul transitions and says, it's not just forgetting my past. Don't live in the past. It's passionately pursuing the prize. Paul's encouragement is to pursue something. I want you to listen to the language throughout this text. Verse 12, he says, I press on. Verse 13, he says, one thing I do, straining toward what's ahead. Straining forward, rather. Verse 14, I press on. Do you hear the intentionality here? Do you hear how deliberate, how urgent it is for Paul? The tenacity that he pursues Christ with. You see, spiritual Growth and maturity, hear me, it requires that you exhort some energy. It requires that you exhort energy. You see, it's, 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 it's a work that Jesus does through the Holy Spirit, but we actively participate in it. Listen to this, no one drifts toward holiness. No one. No one drifts toward holiness. You don't just coast your way to spiritual maturity. You know, th- listen, this is why we have a Bible reading plan. You know why? Because a Bible reading plan is gonna be a daily reminder that you need to be in the word and get up. And it requires for some of us to set our alarm up a little bit earlier or reschedule our day a little bit. To have time of prayer every day requires for me to exert some intentionality to say, I gotta set time aside for it. To come to prayer meeting means I've gotta say no to something else because I want spiritual maturity and growth in my life. Therefore, I'm gonna reorder my schedule in order to be here and find a, a corporate prayer rhythm that I can come and be a part of. It requires, if I'm gonna grow, I gotta live on mission, and so I'm gonna make sure that I create some budget space and some space in my calendar in order for me to go on mission, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend some time in Bible study, so I'm gonna make sure that I don't overexhaust myself with all of these other things. And some of you, even right now, are going, oh gosh, that's so busy, I don't know I could ever do that, but you do everything else. So that, that, if, you, if you say, I can't do it because I got all this other stuff, so what are you straining for? What are you pressing for? What are you pursuing right now? It all comes down to choices and priorities. For Paul, he's like, I'm gonna be intentional. I'm gonna exert energy. I'm gonna make sure I'm pressing on. I'm running after Jesus. No one drifts toward holiness. I love the word straining here, verse 13, straining. And the word literally means to stretch forth after. It's the picture of a runner. Think about this, when they're straining. So you have, you have a runner running the race, and then as they near the finish line, what typically happens if the, if the runner is competitive? He is gonna pick up the pace, he is gonna lean forward, and when they come neck, they got veins popping out, and they're leaning over, almost stumbling through the finish line. That's the picture that Paul is painting here. A runner who wants to finish well, straining, exerting every fiber of their being toward the prize that's in front of them. This is the picture. It's present tense. I'm straining actively today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that. I'm straining. My entire life is pursuing this. That's the mindset of spiritual maturity. I'm going to I'm gonna not live in the past, don't live in the past, but I'm gonna passionately, with all of who I am, pursue Jesus. I'm gonna pursue the prize. What is the prize? Here's number four. Here's the last mindset 
I want to give you. You got to see Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the prize. This is a game changer right here. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? It's to know Jesus. It's to experience Jesus and his transforming work in our life so that we are transformed into his image. That's it. That's what Paul is saying. He says, everything that I strained for before Jesus, I count as rubbish and garbage and it's done and it's over because it's worthless. And now with everything, I wanna know him. I wanna know him more and more and more. I wanna suffer with him because I wanna know him more. I wanna become like him, so I'm gonna conform to his death. And here's the thing, I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on and I'm straining. Why? Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the prize and everything in my life, I'm chasing after him you've got to hear this church Jesus is the prize I press on towards the, the, the picture here is pressing on towards is literally to gaze at a fixed object so when a runner this is the other part of the athletic metaphor so when a sprinter my, my coaches when I was in high school would tell us when we get on that last stretch they would tell us, I want you to look beyond the finish line and I want you to find a fixed point and I want you to run with everything you have toward that fixed point. No longer, are you don't care about who's behind you. You don't care about the stands. You don't care about the coaches. You look at that mark and you fix your eyes on that singular point and you run after it like your life depended on it. Hear what Paul is saying. My eyes are fixed on the prize who is Jesus and with everything I have I'm straining towards that goal I'm running after him this is the Christian life this is what we are called to do you see so, so often Jesus if we're not careful he becomes a means to our desired end you see the reason I say Jesus is the prize and, and everyone in the room kind of goes, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. But we don't live like that. So a lot of times, here's what we do. We pursue Jesus in the seasons of our life when Jesus can give us the things that we need. Our marriage gets, gets in a rough spot. We gotta get back in church. We gotta get refocused. Our kids start straying away. We gotta get some things right. We gotta reorder. We gotta get back in church. We gotta get some things right and, and begin to pursue Jesus. We, we, we have issues in our finances. Oh man, maybe we need to get some things in order. And I'm not saying God can use those, use those circumstances, but oftentimes, if we're really honest, what we're looking for in those seasons is not Jesus, but Jesus to fix. So Jesus becomes an end, a means to our desired end. We want a better marriage, we gotta pursue Jesus to get a better marriage. When, when listen, here's the thing. I, I want a better marriage, but more than I want a better marriage, I want Jesus. And guess what? When I pursue Jesus, Jesus will be at work in my life and in my marriage. More than I want my kids to, to, to be good, moral, upstanding citizens, which I want desperately, I want Jesus. And as a dad and as a husband, I know that if I pursue Jesus, the likelihood of them being influenced by my life and being nurtured in the grace of Jesus, listen, that's gonna take place. So we've gotta recognize that if Jesus is the prize, we can't see him as the means to our end. We have to see him, listen, as the beginning and the end and everything in between. Jesus is not the means to our end. He's the beginning. And he's the end, and he's everything in between. 
period. He becomes why we get up in the morning. He becomes why we read our Bible. He becomes why we pray. He becomes why we share our faith. He becomes why we live on mission. He becomes why we, 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 we pursue serving the church. He becomes everything to us. Jesus becomes everything to us. So believer, hear me say this. Jesus is our prize. Jesus is our goal, our finish line. He is our treasure, our reward, our crown, our glorious inheritance. He is our champion. He is our perfecter. He is our strength. And seeing Jesus as the prize and keeping our eyes on him liberates us to run well, no matter the circumstances, no matter what we face, no matter how hard times get. Jesus is the prize when life is going exactly like you planned. And Jesus is the prize when it all falls apart. Jesus is the prize when you receive the devastating news from the doctor. Jesus is the prize when you receive a clean bill of health. Jesus is the prize when you lose your stability and your savings. Jesus is the prize when you get your promotion and you get the position. Jesus is the prize when you marry the person of your dreams. Jesus is the prize when you bury the person of your dreams. Jesus is the prize when your kids are walking with Jesus. Jesus is the prize when they stray away. Church, Jesus is the prize. And when Jesus is the prize, no matter what we face in life, he'll be the, 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 he'll be the prize in our singleness and in our marriedhood. He'll be the, the, the prize in our, our poverty or in our wealth. Jesus will be the prize no matter what we face. Jesus is the prize. And at the end, because he has already laid hold of us, eyes right here, we all get the prize. Not in a participation way like today. Like in the blood-bought sacrifice of what Christ has accomplished for us. And in laying hold of us, transforming us to say now your life is going to be about laying hold of the one who laid hold of you and you run this race with endurance and patience and in the end guess what you get the prize and the prize is me forever and ever isn't that great news I'm going to ask you to bow your head there are some of you in this room this morning and I just want to give an opportunity for you to respond you are uncertain of your relationship with Jesus and you need to come to know him as your Lord and as your Savior. And with no one looking around, if you are uncertain of whether or not you know him, I mean know him like we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, resting in his death and resurrection is your only hope, and having an actual relationship where you've been transformed by him. And I'm not saying you're perfect, but you know that you are in relationship with him because you have been changed. You've been born again. If you're not certain about that, listen, for you, chasing Jesus starts with you receiving the gift of him chasing you. It doesn't start with you. It starts with him. And so you have to respond to what he's already done for you. So here's what I want to do right now. I just want to give you an opportunity. 
If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just pray a simple prayer. And this prayer is not magic formula. This is just me helping you shape what you're feeling in your heart. If you're uncertain of your relationship with Jesus, but you want to be certain today from your heart, I just want you to confess, Jesus, I, I need you. I need you to come into my life and save me from my sins. I believe you died for me and I believe you rose again. And I want to place all of my hope in you. Come and be my king. I want to turn away from my life and I want to embrace and surrender to yours. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning and you know today is a day I, I want to trust Jesus, I want with no one looking around, I just want you to raise your hand up really high. Raise your hand up really high if you, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to encourage you to do something this morning. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And we have, have people at the aisles to be received. If you raised your hand, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to leave your seat and just come and tell one of the people standing here, hey, I prayed with the pastor a second ago. So all you got to say, and they'll know exactly. Say, why would I need to come forward to do that? It's because there's something about the courage it takes to step out and say, I'm going to let someone know that helps you begin the journey that you say you want to start. So if you're serious about this, then don't keep it private. Make sure you let someone in. And we have encouragers that just want to make sure that, that you understand. They want to pray for you and help you begin this journey well. So don't, don't become a Jesus follower in secret or in private. Be willing to be public about it. So you come in a moment. Others of you in this room, how many of you would just raise your hand and confess and say, hey, I've been in a season of complacency, but I want to break free from that today. Raise your hand if that's you. Praise Jesus all over the room. And here's my encouragement to you. If you raise your hand, man, come to this altar or go pray with one of our prayer partners. Don't, don't just sit back and say, well, I raised my hand. Actively step out in what Jesus is doing in your life and join the work. There's something about humbling yourself and coming and praying at an altar that helps solidify this fresh work that you're saying you want him to do in your life. So this morning, let's all respond to what he's doing. Father, we ask right now as we worship you the next few moments, would you be glorified and magnified in this place? Have your way, Jesus. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would. We're gonna worship. And if, we, if you pray to receive Christ, leave your seat, come and grab the hand of one of these decision encouragers. If you raise your hand that you're tired of being complacent, come to this altar, come and be prayed for. Let's worship and let's respond this morning.